Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software. There's so many great features like invoicing and expense tracking. You'll save so much time with FreshBooks, and you can just thank me at tax time. Just send a little note saying thanks. I use FreshBooks. Save so much time. Thanks, Justin. You can try FreshBooks free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about a section. That's freshbooks.com slash OPPO and enter oppo in the how did you hear about a section. From Canada land, this is oppo. I'm Justin Ling in Toronto, and I have to just make it to Tuesday. Today, we've got a very special bonus episode all about arguably the most important issue in this election that hasn't quite got the thoughtful analysis it definitely deserves. From underfunding foster care for First Nations youth to running roughshod over Indigenous concerns about energy and pipeline projects, we've talked around the concerns of Aboriginal, Métis, Inuit, and Inuit peoples, but this election really hasn't done much to get to the core issues behind a lot of those concerns and those policy failures. That's why I've invited on Ryan McMahon, comedian and host of the Thunder Bay podcast, as well as Karen Puglesi, a former executive director at the Aboriginal People's Television Network, currently a Neiman Journalism Fellow, and in the future an Associate Professor of Journalism at Ryerson University. Hopefully these two can break down what actually matters on this file and what we've failed to address. Karen, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Okay, so right off the bat, I mean, we'll get into all of the the details and, and some of the specific policy things later. How has this election made you feel? I've asked I've asked a lot of people this question, uh, and I've gotten a real varying set of responses, especially when it comes to the conversations around Indigenous issues. Are you feeling optimistic after this, or not so much? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Ryan. Why don't you go? <laughs> uh, well, I think I no, think that's that an answer in it itself. All. I think. Um. I'm going to I'm going to answer in two parts. First, um, no, I'm I'm not feeling optimistic. Um, it has been a d- dirty, rotten uh, election campaign full of you know mudslinging and, and a real lack of ideas. Like the debates were so frustrating and so uninspiring that that it it made me. I mean, I, w- I watched the French debate. I watched uh, the English debate. I was hoping to watch a climate debate. Um, and it's, it was embarrassing, um, just, just how bad the debates were, the formats aside and, and, you know, uh, the shouting matches aside, I mean, this is what passes as, uh, as political discourse in this country. And I, and I, and I just started paying attention last federal election. And so, you know, for me as someone that is relatively new to this, you know, partisan sort of politicking, I just thought, man, I could do that. (laughs) <laughs> if, if you've got a comedian uh, saying to himself, I could do that, uh, we, you know, we've got a real problem. Um, and this, my second answer is uh, it is inspiring in part because I've, I have no problem saying here. I really, really was inspired by the campaign Jagmeet Singh. 
uh, has ran uh, thus far, not just in the face of racism, but in the face of really tough questions for the NDP, picking up the pieces of, of Tom Mulcair um, and trying to find the hope that, that Jack Layton left uh, many with. Um, I think he's done a remarkable job and um, I'm really, really inspired by his work. Karen, what about you? Um, well, I'll vote for Ryan since he's now put himself out there to run. It's like <laughs> probably the best candidate so far. Last minute candidate, right in candidate Ryan McMahon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, picking up on what Ryan said, I, let's just all take it on the chin and blame journalists a little bit for some of the... That's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, you know what I think happened? I, I was thinking about this knowing I was coming on the show, and I don't want to say the name Warren Kinsella more than once, because I think it's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> if you say it three times, he appears in the mirror in front of you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say it three times, and and he all of a sudden he's there. But you know, he wrote that book, The War Room, and we've done a crappy job covering elections ever since, because it was really a, a fun and interesting way to look at politics, to look at it from the sleight of hand and the point scoring and the advantage. It's also a really lazy way. I mean, I can sit there and watch a debate and just say, I think he tried to score a point here and speculate about it all day long. It's actually hard to know the issues and to research the issues. So, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing a little bit of that sleight of hand or a little bit of that debate. But when it's all that you do, um, that's a problem. Well, you know, it, it felt to me like there was some good faith effort on the part of, you know, the debate moderators, on the part of some journalists, and sometimes on the part of the campaign to say, you know what, the indigenous issues that have been either poorly addressed or not addressed or sort of ignored over many years, we're going to try to put some of those front and center. I mean, you know, both major debates had sections specifically devoted to indigenous issues. Um, but I wonder what you think about, you know, the actual kind of focus of what we ended up talking about. I mean, it felt like if you only knew indigenous peoples through this uh, election cycle, you would think the only thing that defines them are boil water advisories and pipeline projects. Mm -hmm. And Jody Wilson-Raybould is the only indigenous person on the planet. Right. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with Jody. So I guess, do you think that the campaign kind of matched up with the actual issues that, that could have been addressed? Or did it feel a little bit like a... Maybe, maybe like a characterization. Well, it, it was empty. Like, there wasn't enough space. And, I mean, it, they excluded Indigenous people from from meaningful participation in the debate. So, um, you know, there's that one, one second where you've got an Indigenous woman who stands up and asks about the TRC, the uh, Missing Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry, and the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And they're given 40 seconds to answer. I mean, it, it was just... It, it was... It was bad and it was partially because of the format and it was partially because the right people who were could have put thought into those questions and the timing weren't there because it's not just, I mean, it's not just that you, you throw up an Indigenous person to a debate because they're Indigenous. These are Indigenous reporters because they have expertise. I mean, take somebody who's non-Indigenous but has expertise in Indigenous reporting at least and, and get their input into it. So... Um, but I, I mean, it, it was better than past years because at least there was an effort made. Whereas in past years, once the horse race got going, you didn't even know Indigenous people existed in the country anymore. Um, it, it was really up to the politicians to organize specific events about Indigenous people because they wanted to get those votes out. Um, and that's how the topic would make its way briefly into the media before. Um, but it was not initiated by the media. And this election was. So I'll give I'll give that. You know, for me, 
going into the indigenous issues, which which I argue we should just reframe and recall Canada's issues, um, because you know these are hardly indigenous issues. These are longstanding issues Canada has not dealt with. Um, so Canada's issues in regards to indigenous peoples might be the way I'd frame it, um, which is a little long for TV. But um, the 40 seconds would, would start and I would, I'd, I'm, I'm looking at the leader on TV and I'm just like, just fucking lie to me. Just lie. Lie to me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like being on a date and you know you're not going to get a second date, but you're just going to be nice for the sake of the meal. <laughs> That's that's all I wanted. That's all I, I wanted to be lied to, and I wanted a second glass of wine, and <laughs> and and then there ended up being fuck all, and the the fact that the indigenous issues segment just devolved into a shouting match about pipelines definitely seems fitting because you know when indigenous issues do come up in Canada, that's usually the the, the result. And you have failed, and you have failed to recognize that indigenous communities so, are I, hurt by I, this as I well. I am accepting Sorry, the fact that I'm going to be attacked for uh, not you. building pipelines from some thank and you. for building pipelines we'll, for others. Getting any, and I the balance we need to I take think is we'll be talking right about this more. For the public. You're doing nothing. And and you know to to be a, a a bit of a downer here, I just don't think Canada is ready um, politically and otherwise to really have the hard conversation about what it's going to take to transform this relationship. And we've seen over four years with, with the, the federal liberals um, saying, saying it and doing it are, are two different things. And so I, I think that as we go into this, this uh, election, all of the leaders, including Jagmeet Singh, realize that this is a massive job and um, and it's going to take extraordinary effort, and it's it's not going to be the status quo that uh, that brings us forward. It almost felt like the the, the default Canadian position of you know, and the, the, the old racist mentality of we've already given them enough money. What more do they want? Is maybe at least finally being challenged. I mean, you heard a global journalist sort of, I, I think, try to put that that sort of default. Uh, reaction to words and put it to Jagmeet Singh kind of saying, well, you know, people, sometimes people bulk at the amount of spending, you know, you want to do to bring first, you know, clean drinking water to First Nations communities. And one of his breakout moments of the campaign was actually responding to that question. Are you just writing a blank check for all problems for all indigenous communities across the country once you get into office? So if Toronto had a drinking water problem, if Montreal had a drinking water problem, would you be asking the same question? Does that hurt you at all that maybe there is sort of a willingness to at least challenge that default position of we give them so much more when we give them so much money what, what, what more do they want like at least it feels like we're tackling that to some degree you know there, there's always been a split sort of amongst the parties and the ones that are least likely to hold power have the best indigenous platforms um with with the exception of uh the people's party which doesn't have a a, a very strong one um, but, you know, the, the NDP and the Greens um, have always had, you know, great platforms for Indigenous people. But, you know, like whether or not they got to power, if they would ever be able to implement them. You know, the Liberals last term uh, overpromised and underperformed. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting because I kind of thought with the promises the Liberals were making, and I'm a cynical journalist, that everybody kind of understood that they were kind of promising the moon and we, we'd probably get a few things, but not near what they promised, right? Like, I mean, they have a, a plan for five years clean water and they're elected for four. I mean, you know that they're kind of, uh, you know, playing a little bit. But I, I was watching Twitter recently, and you know, some of my uh, companions on Twitter said that they went out and voted, and they very sincerely 
expected these things to happen. And I was like, really? Really? You, you, you really thought so? Um, so I kind of thought that the vote last time around was a protest vote against Harper because that relationship had deteriorated so badly. But it turns out it actually was a vote for the liberals and people actually did believe in it. And it was a big deal because remember last election for the first time, they're running out of ballots on reserves. People were coming out to vote. You know, um, it was something like 62% of First Nations people, an unheard of number compared to 68 across the population. So there was a lot of hope last election. I don't think I don't think there's hope this election. I think there's disenchantment. I was one of those people that voted in their first federal election last time. And I, and I did so um, because of the protest vote against Harper. But I also wrote a piece for Vice um, that uh, stated, you know, this is the first time I'm, I'm voting in a federal election. And here's, you know, here's here's what I'm hoping for, you know. And I was, I, I will say, I'll admit, you know, I was naive to the fact that, um, you know, I certainly didn't think he would, you know, deal with all of the drinking water problems and, and solve the child welfare um, system and, and uh and repair it and, and all of it. I didn't think all of this would be done in a single mandate, but I did think that some of what was being said, um, you know, was sincere. And I do think that some of it was, yeah. but I do believe that um, someone behind the scenes sits, sits down and just kind of keeps a tally of, of, of the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Hey, this uh, math isn't working out too good. And, um, and and we can see, you know, Canada can't afford reconciliation, and that's the truth. Canada can't afford to reconcile with Indigenous people in a meaningful way. We can see what happened after the um, the um, Canadian Human Rights Tribunal uh, with Cindy Blackstock. That um, you know they're calling for a, a judiciary review. They say because of the election, but you know, frankly, it's because they can't afford the number that has come out. Um, uh, after the after the ruling, so we're we're sitting here in a in a in a big old mess, and I you know I don't want to present uh, radical ideas that that Oppo listeners might not be down with um, here. <laughs> That's half the show. At some point, sometime soon, we need to be willing to pump the brakes, get every meaningful Indigenous politician and policy wonk and thinker in the same room with the federal parties and sit down and have a real frank conversation about what it's going to take once and for all. And we haven't done that yet. And, um, I think it's worth it. And, and whether, you know, we frame it as, um, some sort of, I mean, we've done, fuck, we've done, you know, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, we've done the TRC, we know what it's going to take, but it's like, have you people read these documents? (laughs) Do you know what these things say? Because this is as, this is as 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 close to a statement of facts as we've ever had in this country, and it, it lays out the problems and the solutions in in plain English. You kind of mentioned getting the the right people around the table. Uh, it is worth noting uh, the Assembly of First Nations did a, a pretty good breakdown of the number of Indigenous candidates, um, and they're actually spread across all parties. It's the the highest number of Indigenous candidates um, we've ever had. Uh, in a federal election, there's 62 Indigenous peoples running for various parties. Um, there's been some controversy about whether some people are claiming indigenous heritage that maybe they don't actually have. Um, But I mean, at the very least, does it feel like even given that there is maybe a frustration, uh, understandable cynicism happening in this election, given the last four years involved a lot of promises and uh, delivery that didn't totally meet 
even anywhere close to what those promises were, does it at least feel like things are going in the right direction? I mean, you know, I'm looking at the party platform and I'm heartened by the fact that yes, the People's Party platform is a is is out there in a bunch of ways, um, but even it sort of seems to try to address indigenous concerns you know it's promising a, a wholesale repeal and kind of a fixing of the uh, of the Indian Act um, but at the very least does it feel like at least now you kind of have to come to the table with something if you want to run in a federal election in this country all the party platforms make some basic promises uh, there, there's and they always have there's always been these promises about infrastructure so some some years and some parties will focus on different things right now the liberals and the conservatives are focused on water um, the conservatives used to be focused on education and and probably could have been again education's always a good sell to um, between indigenous people and conservatives it's something they can agree on so so there's kind of those infrastructure economic developments equal access to health care kind of kind of things that get promised and they're all very expensive so they usually prioritize one then you've got the the the, the stuff about the Indian Act and when you mention the People's Party yeah he's saying get rid of the Indian Act but then to what level of self-government replaces it and so that's where the parties start separating out again uh, the People's Party would be administering your own services which is a very low level of engagement. And then you've got others that, you know, the Liberals used to be a little bit more like provincial powers. And I think that's maybe where the Conservatives would go these days would be with provincial-like powers. Um, the Bloc Québécois likes the um, the, the Cree uh, self-government agreement and thinks that that's the way to go. Um, and then you've got the New Democrats and the Liberals and um, to some extent the, the Bloc uh, all supporting UN DRIP and uh, saying that they want systematic change. And um, it looks a little bit more like the self-governance that First Nations people have in mind. So so that, that part about uh, the UN Declaration on Indigenous Rights um, real powers of self-government being part of mainstream party platforms is new. I'm not sure Canadians understand it. Like when we came out of the TRC, I think all Indigenous people looked at the TRC and said, this is a call for fundamental change of all Canadian institutions and it's radical. And I think there's still a lot of Canadians that think it was about apologizing for residential schools and not doing that again. And so we haven't gotten to truth yet. So it's very interesting to see the stuff come up in the election, and I don't know how much we're even on the same page about what it means. Yeah, you know, have, having talking points and, and a real basic list um, for each of the parties is, you know, bare minimum. I, I will say it's 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 nice to read some of these words, um, but when you get to the brass tacks and you start to talk about, well, what does, what does the liberals' notion of nation-to-nation nation mean? And they've, you know, through the last four years have introduce this indigenous rights framework and you know it starts with a a nation to nation mou basically which is you know saying we endeavor to you know honor this relationship in this way but you know to to satisfy um the adoption of undrip and to to look at what this new nation to nation framework might be you know you need policy reform you need legislative reform i mean this is a this is a massive massive uh, undertaking and i i don't trust maxime bernier's uh, um, people's party of canada is is 
No, I mean, is, no, no, um, nobody should trust Maxime Bernier's People's Party. I mean, let's get that no. very clear. No, and and when you think about, a, you know, just a standard conservative platform, there's there is no way I ever imagine a conservative party willing to... Um, well, he, uh, Scheer has already said that he rejects UNDRIP and that, you know, free prior and informed consent is too complicated for him to wrap, wrap his head around, which, you know, I, I argue even I understand it. Um, so there you go again. I could run for prime minister. But um, this 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 framework that the liberals have has set forward, um, which is sort of the the foundation of this new relationship is not good enough because this is basically an extermination paper that turns First Nations into municipalities, which, you know, puts us under provincial jurisdiction, which eventually, you know, wipes away our rights and our, our distinction as as indigenous peoples. And so it's, it's a complicated um, uh, conversation, but one that you will never find in an election cycle. And one that is very difficult to find outside of an election cycle, and that's where I think we're really stuck in this country. It is worth noting, of course, that, that indigenous peoples across the country are not a monolith, right? You know, the conservative platform, I, I think there's plenty of criticism to put into it, but Andrew Scheer would, as prime minister, appoint a minister specifically responsible for dealing with consultations around energy projects. He would create a revenue sharing agreement. He would put more gas tax money into First Nations communities to let them invest it how they see fit. And I don't think he uses the language, but but create some kind of nation-to-nation dialogue. I think a lot of it's around energy projects, but I think Again, it's it's hard to parse some of these platforms, but I think so. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities – you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Some of it would extend beyond. So, you know, I, I think there's a constituency for that. You know, I, I don't know that it's, you know, the, the vast majority of Indigenous people. I, I'd be curious to get your perspective. But, you know, I think there are Indigenous folks across the country who kind of go, yeah, you know what, maybe actually giving us a, you know, a, a stake in some of these projects, if we're going to do them, is part of the way forward. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you brought that up. The energy corridor and and that consultation process that he's proposing is actually really interesting. Um, right now, uh, the Métis out west are very interested in participating in pipelines. Um, and, and then you've got some First Nations who have signed on as well. And, and I mean, largely, it's, when you see some of the First Nations who started to get into uh, gas and oil, um, you, you, man, the transformation in those some of those communities is just fantastic. Uh, I mean, they've got like these big 
hockey rinks and like places for kids to hang out and they've got schools and they've got jobs and nice homes and and they want all those things but i mean they're balancing it against you know uh damage to the environment and and they're, they're really struggling sometimes with uh, traditional beliefs in order to do it. But the idea that there could be a consultation process where you can work that out, an agreement on, I, I imagine this energy corridor, like, I, I think this is what he means, is that it's actually a physical space that we've all yeah. agreed that yeah. we we can use as a space to transport. That would be, and if it's not running exactly um, across First Nations land, or it's um, very well protected, that could be very appealing. That, that's actually a really good idea. And, and actually, you know, uh, the AFN put out a list of election priorities and sort of said, um, we need to start talking about how we can get, you know, Indigenous buy-in and, and, and re- potentially revenue sharing on, on various types of carbon pricing or environmental pricing um, so that, you know, you're not just uh, buying in on the front end of the development, but you're also buying in on the whole kind of like life cycle and, and, and uh, sort of uh, mitigation and management, which I think is an interesting idea. Yeah, this this energy corridor is not a is not a new idea either. I mean, we have a couple of energy corridors. It's called the Trans Canada Highway, and the railway. And you know that didn't work out too good for Indigenous peoples. So so you know I'm I'm still hesitant to to sort of you know fly the flag of this idea just because you know an energy corridor would then of course mean that you know the the infrastructure that ties this country together is found within you know, a couple of kilometers of each other. And um, I'm pretty certain that this future energy corridor would have to be found along that pathway in some point. And and First Nations along, you know, the Trans-Canada Highway now have never been compensated for loss of land. So there's a a lot, you know, there's a lot to take take apart there. Uh, I'll also say that part of this conservative platform about this this, um, gas tax transfer and for First Nations and 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 Métis that are willing to participate, this this is a a divisive issue um, in Indian Country, and and what's what's not happened yet, and and this is where it gets to like meaningful, free, prior and informed consent is that these groups that are on opposite sides of the conversation have not been given the mechanism or the time or the resources to sit in a room and to talk. And, you know, they do it, they do it through the media and press releases. And there, there hasn't been a, a meaningful chance for them to sit down and, and see where each other is at. I think everybody wants this country to succeed. But how we get there and in the ways we, we discover the path to getting there, I think is very important. I think there is a real risk with the conservative plan. I mean, when, when Harper was in government, he kind of managed to sign a lot of devolution agreements with various First Nations to give them, you know, more um, say in kind of opting out of the Indian Act, but it does kind of create this risk where you have a very large disparity where you're going, well, look, these First Nations have figured out how to govern themselves and are, you know, partners in energy projects and are making a bunch of money and they have kind of those, you know, great hockey rinks and everything and these great programs that you were describing, Karen. But then do you kind of risk stigmatizing the the smaller communities um, that maybe don't have access to energy projects or are geographically disadvantaged? Absolutely. You know, I think that that should be the sort of the liberal point of view. They say this in their platform, we need to have equal services and all of that. But 
there's virtually no money in the platform for that. Um, and that's exactly the judicial review they're seeking right now on uh, the Human Rights Tribunal ruling about them underfunding First Nations uh, foster care. So is there almost a disingenuousness there? The Liberals are saying, no, no, we're going to fix everything, but also there's no new money here for anything. Well, that's what I said. Like, they, they overpromise and then, uh, you know, underdeliver. Uh, okay, let me, let me throw the Liberals a bit of a bone and I'll talk about a couple of things that they promised and they actually did, right? Remember, they called the um, inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous women. Remember, the Conservatives weren't going right. to do that. They were the first ones to uh, say, OK, we're going along with you, NDRIP. They implemented the uh, Indigenous Languages Act, and they've promised reform to the child welfare program. But yeah, then you see these contradictory things that they, they do. So... Uh, last election, 2015, it was APTN who interviewed, and I was one that squeezed in the question, does no mean no on development? And Trudeau's answer was, yes, absolutely. Now, he went on to say some stuff afterwards, but it's really hard to come back from yes, absolutely. So where things turned for the Liberals, it was on, you know, it's not about pipelines. It's about um, the power to be able to say no. It's a self-determination. It's bigger than the pipeline issue. And then for all the talk about we're going to reform child welfare. I mean, this is a continuation of legalized abduction that's been going on since residential schools with our kids. And maybe kids have to come out of the communities and maybe there's sometimes there's no safe place. But you sure as hell hope if the state is going to take them, that they're going to take proper care of them and they're going to put them in a better situation and the kids aren't going to die while they're in care. APTN did a, a really incredible investigation. Kenneth Jackson from APTN um, just over the last couple of weeks released this huge investigation investigation um, detailing the 102 Indigenous children who, who died in government care between 2013 and 2017 um, that I think kind of lays out this issue in really, really stark terms. I mean, you know, people talk about this in terms of money, but, you know, there's, there's a real human cost here as well. Yeah, Kenneth Jackson definitely deserves a shout out. If people haven't read this report, we should put it in the show notes because it's, it's just one of those things where you, you read these stories and you go, how can this be? federal policy. This is just, this is not good enough. And then you read that the liberals want to have a judicial review over the findings and you're like, this is, this is a bad look. And, and I, I just want to circle back quickly and agree with Karen where this really took a turn was the, was the trans mountain pipeline. And when the liberals purchased that pipeline, it really sent a message to indigenous communities that, you know, we weren't in control of our futures. And um, the one thing that I know for sure is that um, many, many indigenous people voted because they listened to to what Justin Trudeau said. And in 2015, in their platform, you know, nation to nation was, you know, he 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 must have said that 100,000 times. And it felt unreal to hear a prime minister of Canada say we are going to decolonize the government. But then to have to have that pipeline bought, you know, it's not just uh, communities in BC that are watching this. It, 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 it sits into the back of your mind now where you think, oh shit, we're not in control of our future because this guy just did this to them. What, what is he willing to do to us? And I think that that's a really sobering moment for the indigenous communities that are considering voting liberal in 2019. The last point I want to make about uh, the liberal platform is let's be crystal clear about what the liberals inherited. Um, 10 years of Harper, 
means that this is a motivated electorate calling for change. We had idle no more. And the moment was really illuminated by, you know, the work of the TRC. Could there have been a better gift for the federal liberals than this the, the, the darkest chapter in Canada's history releases this final report and, and after seven years of work, the TRC basically gifts it to the Liberals to hand back to us, right? Um, indigenous uh, survivors of residential school basically give the gift of the TRC to the federal Liberals, which they leveraged in, in an unbelievable way. This, you know, our big white daddy was hugging elders and wearing beadwork and it was unbelievable. Um, and, and I want to be very clear about that because because whoever would have sat in government would have inherited that work. And and the, they don't deserve the political capital they gained out of the missing and murdered indigenous women uh, inquiry uh, that who deserves the capital and, and the praise for that are the, the families the families um, themselves that have been long calling for that work and, th- and that was doing that work already. Um, so the political capital gained out of a few of these check marks, I think, is, should be brought into question. Okay, we need to take just a quick break for some ads, but we will be right back. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use cloud accounting software. There are so many great features like invoicing and expense tracking. You'll save so much time with FreshBooks, especially around tax time. I can tell you that this past tax season, I was already getting pretty stressed, and I went into the report generator part of FreshBooks, and it was shockingly easy. There's a nice infograph, and there's graphs and charts and all this, and you can look at what you've been paid thus far over the year, but you can also download a CSV table with all of the data and the numbers, and where your expenses can came from, where your invoices came from, who paid you what, how much tax did you collect. It's really, really useful. It made my tax filing surprisingly not stressful. If you want to feel that sweet serenity next tax season, you can try FreshBooks free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about a section. That's freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about a section. So, you know, I kind of mentioned the fact that there's really not a lot of, of money in the Liberal platform. I mean, you know, they're coasting off of some of the commitments and the spending priorities they've made over their four years in government. And I mean, to their credit, um, you know, they pledged to fight all long-term boil water advisories, and they're on track to do it. I mean, it, it's not the biggest accomplishment I think you could ever imagine, but it was one thing they said they were going to do and are going to do it on the timeline they said they would. It looks like by, I think, 2022... There should be no First Nations on long-term boil water advisories. That doesn't solve the entire problem. There's a whole bunch of short, medium-term ones. Um, but I, I do you know, think they deserve some credit for that. But I really thought it was interesting how the NDP handled this question when they were asked, because if you want to solve this infrastructure problem from the very base level, beyond just saying, we're going to deal with the worst kind of boil water advisories, but we're actually going to provide the real infrastructure um, needed, um, the, the NDP have absolutely put up the money. I mean, if you look at their platform, there's um, roughly 4 to $5 billion uh, for everything from drinking water to housing um, to health care. There's money for Grassy Narrows Mercury Mitigation Fund, um, which has been stalled in negotiations with uh, the Trudeau government. Um, they actually have a budget for implementing the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Calls for Justice, as well as the TRC recommendations. Um, there's a lot there. I mean, I think it's sort of telling that, um, you know, the the Trudeau government, the Liberal Party, keeps saying uh, First Nations and Indigenous uh, concerns are um, 
their number one priority, but there's virtually no money, but there is money for significant tax breaks. The NDP are actually, you know, making it something like a quarter of their platform budget. I mean, I, I think that's is that not yes. significant? I, I mean, I, and the the New Democrats and the Greens <laughs> consistently have put out um, the these great platforms year after year um, that put a lot of uh, money towards Indigenous communities, um, but. You know they haven't been empowered federally, so so you look at and you sit there and you say, well, is it going to be one of those things where the promise is there, but the, when the reality of politics hits, they're not going to be able to carry through, or is it because they're actually putting that much attention into First Nations and Inuit and Métis issues, because they do mention those parties do mention all three peoples, right? So that's important too, because some people just forget about the Inuit and the Métis, um, but. You know, like if maybe the fact that they're putting that much attention on the issues is actually not working for them. Maybe that's why they're not getting elected. I don't know. I mean, they might they may not have a position where they could either be in a coalition or hold the balance of power where they can actually now extract those concessions. We haven't been in this situation in um, many years now. I mean, the last time we were in a minority government, the last two times it was there were liberal leaders who were, <laughs> let's just say, not great at their jobs. Um, and you know, Jack Layton managed to get some concessions out of the Harper government back back in the day. Um, but we haven't been in this situation in a while. I mean, we could be in a real spot where um, the Bloc, the Greens, and the NDP will have some some leeway to say, you know, here's what needs to be in your budget um, on uh, Indigenous concerns if, you know, you want to get this thing passed. Is that not encouraging? It, it feels like the NDP really understand the fiduciary responsibility. I'm, I want to make this point. The federal government has a fiduciary responsibility. It's, it's, it's in the Constitution. It's the deal that created this country. And, um, you know, the liberals or the conservatives or the greens or the NDP, you know, doing the bare minimum to provide drinking water in, in, in First Nations in Canada. That's the fucking deal. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing that. So that is not reconciliation. Right. To do mm-hmm. the bare minimum in Canada um, for First Nations is not reconciliation. That is your fiduciary responsibility. And when I read the NDP platform, it reads to me that they understand the fiduciary responsibility, that they take it seriously. And what I see here on paper, uh, costed and in policy and in, in ideas, um, is that fiduciary responsibility present, presented back to Canada. Now, is Canada ready to read that plan and go, oh, I get it. We, yeah, we should do this because it's the right thing to do. Um, probably not. Um, but ironically, Paul Martin, former uh, Liberal Prime Minister, when he, you know, when, when he left Ottawa, he started a an, ed, an Indigenous Education Foundation, and he understands, uh, and he's I've heard him say this many times at events, that when Indigenous kids are educated at the same level as white kids, that it benefits Canada economically, and so his his. Uh, argument is not uh, altruistic or, or anything like that. It's it's very pragmatic. He says, when we spend the money on Indigenous people, they do better, and Canada's economy benefits from it. This is what I see in the NDP, NDP plan, is that they, they are presenting a better future for Canada um, by giving a, a really meaningful Indigenous platform. 
you know, we didn't talk much, too much about the specifics of the green plan, but, um, you know, I thought it was interesting because, you know, they put out this plan that I think they, they thought was quite progressive and, um, and, and wide, you know, talking about some of the same priorities, talking about removing the Indian Act and replacing it with something better with, that's built with, with consultations of, uh, with Indigenous peoples. Um, but it was torn apart for being, you know, there's a whole bunch of errors in it. It, it. You know, it was called naive and just sort of, um, you know, back of the napkin. Even for the progressives who think they're helping, is there still a, you know, a fair amount of work that needs to be done here? I'm going to try to be funny here, but I'm going to make a point. It's like you took a bunch of Canadian uh, political scientists, uh, students in their second year, uh, with mixed with an Indigenous studies class in their first year and said, make a list of all the things that the Green Party should campaign on. And, you know, things like implement the recommendations of the 96 report on the Royal Commission of Aboriginal Peoples. Like all of them? Are we sure? That was tw- <laughs> that was that was 23 years ago. Have we read it? What the fuck? Um, implement the <laughs> undrip all of it. Okay, like it, it takes some sort of like kind of magic wand um, to to really understand the Green Party's platform. And you could say the same thing about the Liberals. You could say the same thing about the Conservatives and the NDP, which I've stand over here on this podcast. But but um, I will say that I think that in a, a good, healthy Canada, the Greens uh, continue to, to lead us in a direction that, that makes us more mindful of where this country can and should go. I think Elizabeth May is a leader that is ahead of her time. You know, looking at this platform, there, there, there's some interesting things in it. But but for me, it's like it's it's a little bit too broad. Um, so. You know how much more work needs to be done to sort of get to that base level understanding of kind of what needs to be done, what needs to be addressed, and and how we get there. <sighs> well, that felt like the end of the podcast. <laughs> okay, let me put it this way: there, there's something that I've noticed that that's different. Something has changed over the the 20 years that I've been a journalist and I've been covering political Indigenous issues. And what's changed is our people. Um, You know, there was a point where we used to accept things and we'd say, okay, good enough. Okay, well, the the drinking water was good enough. Everybody should have drinking water. But, you know, they gave it to us good enough. Um, They did something. We got a mention. And, I, I mean, there is a real... Um, hunger for change, for fundamental change, for systematic change, and a real belief that it's possible. And whatever happens in the election, that spirit is back and it's there. Um, I mean, you could have cooperation, you could have a happy ending, you could have I don't know more, you could have every road blocked in the country. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But one thing that I can say is going to happen is that the the change that needed to take place amongst Indigenous people has happened. Um, our spirit is back, and I think that that's where the change is really going to drive from. I, I agree with Karen again. During Idle No More, after you know, after it wrapped up and after Chief Teresa Spence went home from her hunger strike, I was there covering it. And in the hotel, when they, they held that press conference, Bob Ray presented this 13 guideposts to a better relationship, uh, treaty relationship with Canada and First Nations. And and when I watched everyone sign that document and then everyone leave in taxis, I just you know sat in this empty room with a bunch of other people and thought, well, now we know too much and we can never go back to, to the way things were. 
And the one thing I will say at the risk of sounding like an ideologue is that in 2019, after this election, we know too much and we can't go back to the way things were. And that's where I draw hope from. That's where I really do believe in this country and I believe in Canadians. And we know too much and we can't go back to the way things were. Ryan, Karen, thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. Ryan, where can people find you? I'm at RM Comedy on Twitter. And Karen, what about you? Um, at Karen underscore Pugliese. Figure out how to spell it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> figure it out, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks, Justin. And that's it for Oppo this week. You can let us know what you think by emailing us at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook at OppoCast. This episode was produced by Laura Howells. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and the theme music is by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is vote. Or don't. Or eat your ballot. I don't care. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.